The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week I or my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, come to you with information regarding health care that you need to know so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family. We try to bring you the information that nobody is giving you elsewhere so that you'll be better informed to make the decisions that you need to make. The um, Doctor's Lounge is um, supported by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. Um, the uh, Doctor, the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, uh, stands for the Doctor-Patient Relationship, which is very much under siege today, and also for Healthcare Freedom, another issue that is under siege today. Um, we really depend on your help and support, so please go to the website at www.d, the number 4, pcfoundation.org. That's d4pcfoundation.org. And um, give a generous contribution uh, so that we can continue to bring this show to you and do all the work that we do um, on a daily basis. Um, Today, um, I come to you with a very heavy heart. Um, This show um, broadcasts live on a Thursday. It is Thursday, February 24th, and the Russians have invaded Ukraine. And it is um, something that is truly unbelievable. Um, that once again a um, a madman, mega mega maniacal, um, lunatic thug can upset the world order and disturb peace and tranquility because of his um, selfish goals. And uh, and there's no question that he is a uh, a thug and a selfish self selfish leader who has raped his economy, stolen tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars from his country, and enriched himself and his friends, and put the world um, on the brink of a world war. And this is going to have ramifications for all of us. Um, it will um, affect us um, in our daily lives, where there will be worsening supply chain problems. Um, it will affect us because the price of goods are going to go up because of inflation. It's going to affect us because gas prices are going to um, double, if not triple. We've already seen the doubling of a barrel of oil in a year and uh, almost a tripling from its low point um, when uh, uh, President Trump was in office. Um, it could have even more widespread ramifications if the Russians 
uh, decide to engage in asymmetrical warfare, such as taking down the U.S. Um, uh, power grids, shutting down our banking system. It is it is just unfathomable what could happen, and this man is such a a uh, wild card, such a lunatic that anything is possible. And it is something that didn't need to happen because it didn't happen under President Trump's watch. He kept that man under check. Putin hasn't changed. Our leadership has changed. When Obama was president, Putin knew that he could get away with things that he wouldn't be able to with a stronger president in the White House, and that's when he marched into Crimea, and he inserted uh, puppet governments in uh, Belarus and in Georgia. Um, when Trump became president, everything was just eerily quiet on the Russian front. But now, with Biden in office, everybody in the world sees what we see on a daily basis and what our media covers up for. But the reality is that he is who he is, Biden, and he portrays an image of complete weakness and fecklessness and thugs, tyrants, bad people around the world see that and are going to take advantage. And this is why elections have consequences. And if we don't wake up America and make sure that the people who are in our in who are running our government are prepared to keep thugs in check, if there's a vacuum, the it's going to be filled by bad people. And when that happens, bad things are going to happen to us. And um, I could go on and do this whole show about this. And, I, and I'm not sure that what I have prepared um, early in the week um, is really... Um, uh, it, 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 it almost seems that that the events of last night and today make make this somewhat trite. But I really think that it, it we we need to present this show and tie things together because my point is how secure is your health care? If as we slide into totalitarianism, how secure do you think your health care is? And we may be sliding into totalitarianism. So people have to open their eyes and wake up because it's not too late to stop what the, the, what is going on. We have to derail this train off of these tracks. You know, the left and, and, and the, and Putin are not all that different. They both have the same goals. They both want to see the destruction of democracy, of the democratic state where people have freedom. They want to see totalitarianism 
in the hands of Putin, it would be controlled by one man. In the hands of the left, it will be their um, their cohort, their their um, group of of uh, people who see the world the way that they do. The Putin wants to see our destruction from without and is prepared to to um, uh, embark on that path. The left in this country aim to destroy us from within. Time to wake up. Before I talk to you about how secure your health care is, I want to thank all of you who are tuning into this show for the first time, or if you are a regu- regular listener, thank you for returning. Last month, we had a record number of downloads a 60% increase in what we have been averaging on this show. And again, I must thank all of you who have made this possible. But on further introspection about this, and in other words, what accounts for this, I find myself speculating why. And the only logical conclusion that I can come up with is that an increasing number of people are fed up with everything that's going on around them. And they're seeking out places that provide sane landing spots with information that they can believe and that validates their own feelings about what is going on in the world. A majority of Americans know things are very wrong. Everybody that I talk to, even people who are left, maybe not leftists, but left of center, recognize that we're going off the rails and they can't put their they just can't wrap their arms around this because everything is is off the rails they can't focus it's like whack-a-mole every everything that we're seeing around our country is is just spinning out of control and people are looking for a place where they will hear the truth, where they will hear information that they can rely on. They don't want to listen to someone telling them how bad they are or who pretend that what people see with their own eyes is not really happening. Or if you think things are spiraling out of control, that you are the problem, not them or not the policies that they've enacted to enable that to happen. We, myself, my co-host Scott Barber, are unafraid to speak the truth, and more and more people apparently appreciate that and are responding by tuning in. So I have two asks. First, please tell your friends about our show. Just tell one but two or three or more would be great. I would love to grow our audience by another 60% next month and then another 60% after that because this is the information that people need to hear. And second, please, while you're on your computer or smartphone or tablet, go to www.d4pcfoundation.org and make sure that we have the resources to fight off those who constantly seek to silence us. And believe me, 
believe me, there are just scores of people who want to shut me up. So please help us out. Because silencing dissent is the primary tool of totalitarian regimes. And we see where this has led with Russia as they are dragging the world into a global conflict. They are the spark, the catalyst, and other totalitarian regimes are watching very closely, and dominoes will soon tumble in China, in North Korea, in Iran, in Latin America. Whenever there is instability in the world, there's no telling how far it will stretch, and that now we have a vacuum of leadership and it needs to be filled. And it's created by the weakness and the fecklessness of this Biden administration. You know, the deterrence to global chaos has been the strength of the global alliance of democratic, freedom-loving nations. And it's led by a strong USA. And this alliance is fracturing, mostly because of weakness of leadership in this country. Beginning in 2020, people in Western countries have allowed themselves to be controlled, and that's because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And this is because most people are good, and they want to do what is right, and they are willing to sacrifice for the greater good. And after a while, when people see what they are, that what they are being told by their leaders no longer makes any sense, they can no longer blindly accept limitations put on them. This is despite the best attempts of a media that has been in bed with the left forever. You know, I was listening to a... um, a uh, a radio show and they were talking about the golden age of media and and they the people discussing this were opining that there really never was a golden age of media the media has always lied to the american public and they've always leaned far to the left They've fed people the information that supported those positions. And it hasn't been until the rise of alternate sources of information that we've come to realize how corrupt, how bad the media truly is. But after a while, when when, um, people are getting this conflicting information from what they see going on around them, they no longer can accept these limitations. And when they see that their elected representatives act like a privileged class, while they have to, while these people, while the masses have to adhere to rules that this privileged class make, they will no longer accept that. When the public sees how stiff-necked their elected leaders are and refuse 
to alter course when it is apparent that they should, they can no longer accept that. When it becomes clear that people in charge no longer view themselves as representatives of all of the people, there's a problem. When our elected representatives treat people who question their authority, when they just simply are questioning their authority, the decisions that these people make, the leaders are viewing these people as enemies of the state. When when our elected representatives do that, the public can no longer accept them, and they're going to demand change. And when enough people do that, then the change will come. It's unthinkable and an utter disgrace that a country that we consider our first cousins, Canada, can turn on its own people. And it's not just the truckers, although their right to protest is primary in a democratic society. When these protests, which are nonviolent and threaten no one's security, are shut down by the military, which uses force to accomplish their desires, the desires of the leaders of that country, it is the beginning of the end of democratic society. If I, I can't emphasize that enough. If you are watching what's going on in Canada dispassionately, or thinking that this is something that can't happen here, you are woefully mistaken. But even worse, even worse, when people, the general public, who support the efforts of these people, these truckers, are being persecuted by the government, we have a problem. When their bank accounts are frozen, when they are put in jail, when they get their businesses shut down, this is the next step toward totalitarianism. That is as obvious as as the nose on your faces. Now let me just tell you, as a Jew, I am all too sensitive about what happened in Germany in the 1930s, the Jewish laws. The people in power there, the Nazis under Adolf Hitler, determined that Jews could not participate in certain activities. They couldn't be members of social clubs. They couldn't go to um, most restaurants. They couldn't practice certain professions. The government decided who were undesirables in their eyes. And they eventually took this to an extreme, and I'm not going there. I'm just simply pointing out the parallels that a government 
can decide who is an undesirable and they can use the power of government to destroy those people. And if you can't see the parallels between that and what's going on in Canada, you are either being willfully ignorant or blind because it is so apparent, so obvious. And what's happening in Canada can just as easily happen in the U.S. We are just one step away, one step away from that here. People have already allowed the government to give them vaccinations. They have allowed the government to shut down their businesses. They've allowed the government to keep their children from attending schools. They've um, kept people from practicing their religious faiths. They've constructed barriers around themselves in the nation's capital to isolate themselves, to, quote, protect themselves, but in reality, excuse me, in reality, to keep people away. We are one step away from more extreme measures as we've witnessed in Canada. Would the government freeze your bank account here in this country if we have a trucker's strike at, that they're um, proposing occur on the eve of the State of the Union address? Around the um, around the Beltway in Washington D.C., what if you gave money to the truckers to help them pay for their fuel or, or sent them meals like they're doing in Canada? Would our government freeze our bank accounts of people who were sending money on crowd sourcing platforms? Would What would you do if they did? Would you violently protest or would you comply? Either decision, either decision is too horrible to contemplate, in my opinion. We should not even be facing any of these decisions, which brings me to the topic that I wanted to dive into today. Are we certain that what's happening in Canada can't happen here? And what if it does? Is this not all that you need to consider to reject the idea of a single-payer health care system? Is it too much of a reach to think that if the government controls your health care, that they couldn't use it as a weapon against you to force you to comply of course it's not too much of a reach. Just look at Canada. I'm waiting for the Canadian government to do just that. They've frozen bank accounts. They've put people in jail. They've confiscated people's businesses. Yes, confiscated their businesses because when they impound their trucks of the truckers, that's their business. And when they take them away from the truckers, they are taking away their businesses. The government is taking away their business. So the next step to force compliance is to 
use their health care as a weapon, as a blunt instrument to keep them in line. And if they've gone as far as they've gone already, they are just one step away from doing just that. The... um, We're, we're not far from that point here in this country. Here in, in the U.S., the federal government controls more than 50% of our health care. That's when you consider Medicare, Medicaid, the VA, the CHIP program, um, the, uh, the uh, uh Program, the military medical program, and Indian health. And we constantly hear from the left why a single-payer, government-controlled health care system would be better for everyone. But better for whom? Not for the millions who get to make health care decisions for themselves on a daily basis. It's, it's not even better for the government. This should be a gigantic non-starter. But, depending on who's in power, this inevitably may be out of our control. The left is hungry for this. Why? Control and power. Not saving money, not making health care more affordable for everyone. It never can be if there's no accountability and there is no control on the part of health care spending by patients unless the government controls it by rationing care, by limiting care or by creating phony narratives to limit the, the quality of care. And um, let, me, let me try to, to expand on what I mean by that, um, limiting the quality of care. You know, um, there was a government agency that um, was created in under Obamacare. It's the United States Preventative Services Task Force. And this is a group of people who are unelected, who um, uh, actually it was created before Obamacare, I believe, but it really got ramped up in Obamacare. And it's people across various specialties who look at data supposedly and come up with recommendations about what what direction we should be taking as doctors regarding the delivery of healthcare services and they give scores for different um different um, medical, um, uh, uh, I guess, treatments or services on a uh, scale of A to F. And obviously something that they approve of, such as 
critical race theory in healthcare would get an A rating in this climate today, and I'm going to talk more about that later on. But certain procedures, certain screening tools, the this group will look at and decide whether it's worthwhile doing this or not. And um, in uh, in Canada, for instance, they don't do colon cancer screenings in a country with complete um, uh, socialized health care. And what was argued against the, um, the formation and the recommendations of the USPSTF is the fact that they've made recommendations that have adversely affected the health of Americans because it's a step towards rationing care. And we are at a hard break right now, and I am going to explain this to you in a little more detail when we get back in the next segment uh, about why government-run health care is a real danger to every single American, given the situation that we see going on around us. So stay with us. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. Veteran-owned America's Web Radio endorses and supports Dr. Rich McCormick for Georgia's 6th District, U.S. House of Representatives. As a decorated Marine helicopter pilot, and now an emergency room doctor who served on the front lines against COVID-19, Dr. Rich McCormick has never been afraid of a fight. Whether it's communist China abroad, or the radical left in America, Rich knows the next fight facing America is to stop socialism. He's all in. Vote for Rich McCormick. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. Welcome back in the Doctor's Lounge. Today we are discussing whether or not your health care is secure as we march toward totalitarianism under the hands of leftists. And the we were talking at the break about the United States Preventative Services Task Force. 
and I'm going to just cut to the chase right here. Back in 2012, they made a major announcement that screening for prostate cancer, the way that it had been done up until that point with PSA screening, which was a breakthrough in urologic care of men with prostate cancer, was um, a over over uh, reach. It was it was um, it was not a a uh, reliable screening tool, and it resulted in too much um, too too much unnecessary testing, too many unnecessary surgeries, uh, too too much quote care, and um, they gave that means of screening a grade of a D. So what happened? Well, um, this got the attention of internists and people who are primary care doctors who use PSA screening as a, um, a measure to decide whether or not they needed to refer men to uh, urologists. Urologists um, stopped doing uh, routine PSA screening um, as a result of this um, this pronouncement from the um, from this task force, a government task force with no urologists or oncologists on it, mind you. And our medical society, which is infiltrated by people who are left of center, as are all of the medical societies today in America, they embraced this recommendation. They, they uh, towed the, quote, party line, and they um, went away from uh, screening for, um, for prostate cancer. And what happened as a result of that, screening went down, prostate biopsies went down, overall prostate cancer detection went down, and the rate of metastatic cancer, metastatic prostate cancer, at the time that men presented to their doctors went up. And there was a study that came out um, in uh, in the urologic uh, uh, practice, which is a journal of the American Urologic Association, that looked at the rate of of uh, these these uh, measures: PSA screening, prostate biopsies, overall prostate cancer detection, and metastatic cancer before and after the implementation of this recommendation by the United States Preventative Task Force. Um, and, uh, and what they found was, first of all, that, um, that this affected all races equally. Um, and, by the way, um, black males have a very high propensity of prostate cancer. And so 
these recommendations in some circles was viewed um, as a negative with regard to taking care of the underserved community. But that's something I'm not going to get into right now. But what the results of this study showed was that because of these recommendations, the number of patients screened declined by as much as 25%, which is enormous. The rate of biopsies, which is what this, this group was trying to accomplish, they want to limit the expenditure of resources. And again, this is driven, depending on how you look at this, <coughs> either because they want to start the process of rationing or they're trying to cut costs. <coughs> Cutting costs can be viewed as a means to um, get their arms around it when the government controls health care or <coughs> if you are not as cynical as I am trying to just lower overall health care costs in this country which are very high. Dry throat today, excuse me. What this study also found was that the number of biopsies performed in the um, in the eight years before the recommendations and the eight years after dropped as much as fifty seven percent. And the overall cancer detection dropped by almost fifty percent. And the there was a, a dramatic, statistically significant increase in the rate of metastatic cancer at the time these men presented for care as much as 105%. So what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that when doctors are in charge of taking care of patients and not having to depend, not having to to um, adhere to government regulations, the the healthcare of people improve. When government gets in the way, then healthcare suffers. These recommendations had real-world implications. It's not just this study. Because of these recommendations, insurance companies wouldn't pay for screening. It came out of people's pockets. If I, as a urologist, recommended to somebody that they get screened and it falls out of the guidelines of the um, United States Preventative Services Task Force, the insurance company is going to say, no, I'm sorry, we're not paying for that. That is not usual and customary. We've all heard usual and customary when we are dealing with our explanation of benefits, our EOBs. The insurance companies will um, deny 
coverage for certain services, whether it's a screen or a biopsy or even a radical prostatectomy. Um, and, uh, and the government-controlled um, health care plans certainly won't allow that to happen. So, so they, they are marching us down a road of acceptance of less health care, less patient-centered health care, all in the name of statistics and government regulations. And this, this was, um, th- there, these, these um, regulations are still in place. The, uh, the American Urologic Association has, uh, has uh, created a, um, a program called Watchful Waiting, which is not taking care of all men with prostate cancer, but watching many of them with the understanding that prostate cancer truly is not a rapidly um, progressive disease. But what they fail to recognize is that so many men are very bad advocates for themselves, and they are very bad at follow-through, and they don't show up for their routine screens, their routine exams when they are in a watchful waiting program, and those men progress to more advanced prostate cancer, which is then much more difficult to uh, treat may and may in many cases incurable. So so this is what happens. This is this is the march towards this with government control, government the the thumb of the government on the health care of Americans and their influence over the the um, societies, the medical societies that give the doctors in their specialties instructions about how to act. To a lesser extent, we see this in pediatrics. We see the um, the American um, uh, Associate American Academy of Pediatrics um, decree that a condition that we as urologists have taken care of for 60, 70 years, well recognized, where urine backs up from the bladder to the kidneys and can damage the kidneys, as urologists, we've taken care of that. And um, we've improved the health care, the health, the outcomes in children by managing this properly. In steps in the American Academy of Pediatrics and creates a uh, narrative that maybe we are overtreating this condition and we should stop doing this. Creates again certain guidelines which conf- confuse the primary care doctors who are the gatekeepers for the patients, and these patients get mistreated and have more problems with 
um, serious kidney infections, with hospitalizations, with permanent kidney damage, and yes, in some cases, even um, loss of their kidneys and transplantation. So what's my point? My point is that when healthcare becomes less controlled by the doctors that take care of patients and more controlled by government or by pseudo um, uh, uh, quasi-governmental agencies, um, medical societies or other bodies that have uh, the power to influence the behavior of um, doctors, of insurance companies, of people paying the health care bills, um, there is going to be a major problem. We are heading down the wrong path. We're already heading down the wrong path with health care. And let me wrap up this show by launching into what I've talked about on previous shows, which is the racialization of health care. A new report came out this week about medical school curricula. 23 of the top 25 medical schools in this country require indoctrinating young doctors in critical race theory and how this needs to be implemented in medical decision making. What does that actually mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. There will be medical decisions based on race. And again, trying to draw all this together where the government is making decisions about how people are going to behave and they're going to use the power of that government to to, um, mandate or influence that behavior. And the racialization of health care is another way that this is heading in the wrong direction, how medicine, how health care is heading in the wrong direction. The, this, this effort is basing health care on race, not on medical need. So if the government controls health care, if they control the distribution of resources, as they do in Canada, and they do in other socialized countries, there will be mandates to distribute those resources based on race. We've already gotten a taste of this with the distribution of vaccines and other um, therapeutics during the pandemic to um, people of color over people of Caucasian descent of descent now medical schools are indoctrinating young doctors that this is right and proper the medical schools have some form of mandatory student training or coursework on ideas related to critical race theory according to criticalrace.org which 
monitors critical race theory curricula and training in higher education. We have allowed a fringe element, a leftist element, and there's no question that this is a very left radical element. We've let them into our house and we've let them control the narrative. They are very, very good at doing that. We've talked about that time and time again, how the left can control language and make people feel badly because of their beliefs being different than those of the left. And so they don't want to be made into villains, and they are allowing these these wolves, these foxes, into the hen house. The racialization of medical school education is so troubling. Interjecting racial politics into medical care is dangerous, and demanding that medical students and eventual doctors become activists is so wrong on so many levels. This anti-racism movement is by definition racist itself. It has no place in medicine. Current racial discrimination in order to remedy past racial discrimination is wrong at face value. But in medicine, it is absolutely dangerous. Of the 23 schools of the top 25 medical schools by U.S. News and World Reports, of the 23 schools mandating training, 21 have offered have offered and and promote materials by the authors Robin D'Angelo or Ibram Kendi, both radical racists themselves who are part of the black separatist movement who promote discrimination of white people and demand reparations in the form of um, uh, treatment and and care that is that is disproportionate to make up for past transgressions. The subjects of this mandatory training and coursework are worded and phrased differently at individual schools, but they use terms that we've heard anti-racism cultural competency equity implicit bias DEI which is diversity equity inclusion and CRT I'll tell you an anecdote one of my colleagues works with the American Academy of Pediatrics is a course is a, a subject expert, and um, and has put together a panel um, of other subject experts to put on a webinar. 
and um, and got called out along with other people involved in this and told that they could not put on the webinar because it was comprised entirely of all white men. Now, forget that these are the leading experts in this field. That wasn't sufficient. That didn't matter. What the Academy of Pediatrics demanded was to put people of a different gender, different race, different a different look on this panel because the look did not appear good. The look was 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 a going against what they are trying to achieve, which is diversity and equity and inclusion, never mind competence. That doesn't matter anymore. That should frighten everybody, that we would prefer to have people judged on the way that they look rather than what they are capable of. Now, I'm all for having a a green, trigender person head up a committee or operate on me if they're the best ones to do it. But I sure as hell don't want to be told that somebody needs to be on a panel, a committee, doing my operation or my family's operation simply because of the way that they look and we have to have a certain appearance. Very, very, very dangerous. 16 of these top 25 schools have declared that anti-racism, DEI, CRT, and other similar elements will be embedded embedded into the general curriculum, including the University of Chicago, the Pritzker School of Medicine, where first-year medical students must take, quote, health, equity, advocacy, and anti-racism. This is dragging us into a very, very sad state of affairs. At the University of Michigan School of Medicine, the school's Anti-Racism Oversight Committee recommends that it incorporates CRT, health justice, and intersectional and intersectionality um, into their doctoring materials. There are numbers of other examples. I can go on and on with the top medical schools in the country. Medical school activism is playing out in the real world patient care that we see. With health departments in multiple states, they are using racial preferences in COVID therapeutic eligibility. This is once again, the government selecting winners and losers, deciding who will get certain resources, 
and who won't? Who is an enemy of the state and who isn't? Who is preferred and who is not preferred? And by indoctrinating our young doctors regarding this, teaching this to them, this is no different than teaching kindergartners that they should be ashamed of being white people and they should um, make up for the transgressions of people that they have no contact with 150, 170, 200 years ago. When these young doctors graduate and get put into positions where they are making the healthcare decisions, they will think that there's nothing wrong in in um, in making these racially motivated decisions about healthcare. Faculty are also subject to this in 17 of the top 25 schools where many schools require diversity and bias training for all their searches and admissions, including students, residents, fellows, faculty, and staff positions in education. Wake up, America. The left is going to destroy our country. Just as Putin wants to do it from without, they will do it from within. Your health care is not secure if they are in control. Wake up. Thank you for being here today. I enjoyed sharing these thoughts with you. Our prayers are with the Ukrainians, and we hope that this comes to a swift conclusion and the world is not dragged into World War III. Come back with us next week, and Dr. Scott will be here in behind the uh, microphone. Thank you. Bye. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.